Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. We got an email who said, um, I want to wish you and Holly a happy Easter. And I'm going to edit this to protect anonymity. Mm-hmm. Um, I echo your sentiments on the last podcast about how much despair there seems to be over the violence shootings as of late. It seems every time you dial in on the news, there seems to be an endless stream of things to be depressed about. Yeah. Nonetheless, if you fill your mind with garbage every day, you will be prone to reap what you sow. I think being present is great advice, but like you said, it's very difficult to do. If you're still soliciting advice on future podcast topics, I would like to hear what you two think about trying to reconcile with relatives and friends Mm -hmm. who are the exact opposites of yourself politically. Do we just avoid each other altogether? How do we agree to disagree with each other without compromising our own beliefs? Oh, gosh. I love that question. And I have an immediate thing that comes to mind. First, I want to honor um, that being present to despair is one way of being present, right? Um, Sometimes we think of presence as equanimity and bliss, but being present is also just that, being present to grief and despair. One Sunday, now to sort of think about how do we reconcile, when you were out of town, I think some years ago, John Watson brought his friend and colleague, Jill Carroll, Um, to Ordinary Life. She was part of the American Leadership Forum. Turns out she's the wife of someone who would later become my dear friend, Nishta. And Jill and I, Nishta and Josh are all adoptive parents. Um, Anyhow, I I won't go into that story, but it it blossomed something um, for me personally too. And Jill talked about, you know, she's a philosopher. She talked about being um, a humanist, What does it mean to sort of be a humanist, be incarnated, embody the sort of like human experience? Um, And she was raised in the South with very religious upbringing. Um, And somebody asked her, how do you reconcile how you think now with your family and their beliefs? And she said, I can't. There is no reconciling myself to what they believe. There is only being with it. So that goes back to presence, Mm -hmm. right? There's only being with the difference. I read something recently about um, the importance of seeking the sacred in the space that is the difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's an affirmation that you and I would go along with is that you know, what we call the sacred mystery or the divine presence, uh, ground of being, whatever phrase you want to use, is everywhere, in everything, contains everything, is contained by everything. And so um, I could not any longer 
go back even to some of the beliefs that I, I had. Um, I think that, you know, I can see how my own mind has changed just in the last few years um, to find, and this feels scary to say, mm. but to find really quite some discomfort with the use of the word Christ as um, even Ilya Delio and Richard Rohr want to use the phrase eternal Christ or universal Christ or whatever, because it still wants to make Christianity the trump card. Right. And um, I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand that. Um, I subscribe to only a couple of Twitter feeds. Uh, and, and one of those Twitter feeds is by a um, man who used to be a former evangelical Christian, an evangelist, quite conservative man, is now on the absolute other side of things. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he said it's really appalling to him that for evangelicals whose primary goal 25 years ago or 20 years ago was to win people to Christ or to Jesus. Now their behavior is the very thing that alienates people from Jesus. Yeah. Um, that that uh, the Christian flag and the cross and Jesus is my savior and Donald Trump is my president went into the Capitol on January 6th. It's just one of the most appalling transformations in the history of religion. Now it's not that it hasn't happened before it has. Right. But, or that it uh, hasn't been sort of building up to this moment for a long time, as you say. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's, a couple of things came up for me as you were talking. Um, one, <laughs> This is really silly, but my favorite um, Peloton teacher, Josh and I over the last year have gotten a Peloton to keep exercising. Um, she, in her, the, the ride I did with her today, she said something really funny. She said, on my resume, I put that one of my skills is being a great lip syncer. And the, the, the sort of moral of that was live in the spaces, live in the spaces. How do we fill the spaces? You know, and that, that's such a great way to just think about our day and our existence, live in the spaces. So here's the space we're in. How do we make sense of that transformation of Christianity from saving souls to wrecking them, if you will, right? So, um, from saving souls to doing what? Wrecking them. Oh. Alienating them, right? And your point about kind of the centrality of Christ, um, even in Richard Rohr and Ilya Delio's uh, thinking, who we both love, maintains center thinking, right? How do we unite around this one thing? And I've, I've been reading a lot of liberation philosophy lately. And liberation philosophy, not theology, but they're related, says we must move away from centrality. We must move away from the center in order to become free. It's not and, to prop up another center over here. It's to say, how do we actually shift away from center thinking? And, and I think, and Richard Rohr would say this too. I know that he does because I've heard him say it, 
that really, even as part of the Judeo, more Judeo than Christian tradition, certainly Jesus tradition, uh, God was to be found at the bottom and at the edges, not at the center, yeah. not at the places of power. Yeah. I have two two things to share. Yeah. Um, I got put onto a book by uh, Daramud Amiraku. As one of his footnotes, he kept referring to a guy named Nick Page, and I thought, mm -hmm. do you know Nick Page? Nope. I thought, you know, that does not have a very scholarly sounding name. That Nick. <laughs> page but he is a prolific author he's in britain and he wrote a book called a nearly infallible history of christianity okay you've mentioned this once before it is so funny yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. the other books that i have read of him uh he wrote a book about jesus called the wrong messiah <laughs> am i allowed to laugh that's funny <laughs> Well, it, it yeah. Jesus is the wrong Messiah according to Jewish expectation. He didn't meet mm -hmm. any of the yeah. expectations sure. of Jews. Yeah. But this yeah. book, the nearly infallible history of Christianity, is really, really, really funny. The footnotes okay. are funny. It's just it's a big book, so you're not going to go through it easily or or overnight. But in the history of the of Christianity just one episode after another of how corrupt and corrupting and corruptible the movement has been from time to time. And we have had this history of idealizing it. And, mm -hmm. and, and boy, it's been full of trouble from the get-go. Yeah. Because people have sought power and position and prestige and all of that to make it and the love of power very frequently is more powerful than the power of love. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. I mean, what does Martin Luther King say about a powerful kind of love that um, it takes love out of its anemia and reforms power to its form of leadership, right? And that's not exactly it, but essentially he's calling for a kind of powerful love. Um, the, in this, in particular, in this country, we've identified Christianity, as you say, with white male, white folk, Protestant religion, mm -hmm. right? And so, Christianity, male, white male, right? Yeah. So we, this idea of Christ became associated also with whiteness, with um, individual salvation, and we've talked so much about this. I hope this is just kind of ingrained in our psyches, um, but that's the aspect of Christ, the center thinking around the Christ, if you will, mm -hmm. that we need to sort of decenter. Mm -hmm. We need to remove the center. I, I, I just can't help but think um, sometimes a humorous and also sad image I get of Jesus in my head is just kind of like, oh man, <laughs> just like y'all really missed the point. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm over here. Mm -hmm. I'm like over here on the farthest edge, just eating sandwiches with the poor and y'all are talking about individual salvation and, you know, wealth and power and, and, uh, prosperity gospel, you know? Well, back to our, back to our listeners question. I, I, um, I think that people who <clears throat> are, uh, in that camp that on that far right camp, I think that you don't engage them. Yeah. You don't try to reason with them. Uh, I've, I've heard some people say things like, um, 
or you can say to people, you know, I used to think like that, but I don't anymore. Mm -hmm. Or if that's true for you, uh, that, you know, and, and the judo line that I've used before about my client who said to her in-laws, that sounds racist. Are you racist? Mm -hmm. I didn't know you were mm -hmm. racist, but my, my own thing is that I just don't engage. And if I feel like somebody is being, um, abusive or bully to me about some of that, I just withdraw. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't pretend that I can have relationships with people who, um, in our interpersonal in our interpersonal reactions to each other interactions with each other don't respect the values of respect and um honesty yeah. and things like that i i just have had to ask some people not to contact me anymore i think that that you know i mean it's pulling back I think a lot of times when we're not accustomed to putting up boundaries feels mean to people, you know, but I think what you're pointing out in, in answering to this question is um, being self-protective and other protective. And uh -huh. actually I, good boundaries are designed to do both when they're carried out um, well and directly and honestly, good boundaries protect the boundary maker and the boundary crosser. <laughs> Um, because boundary crossers also very often don't have good personal boundaries. And, you know, so they don't know where to stop and to say to them, that's enough. That's where you stop provides, I'm, I'm not meaning to be infantilizing here, but it's like a child when you say you can't go past the front yard. Right. And that's for your right. safety and mine. I was, I was recently in a social situation in another city where um, most of the people that I was with would be of the probably conservative to the right of things. And it was just so sad and appalling to me that almost none of them wore masks. Yeah. And I hate it that that has become politicized. Yeah that uh, that fi that facts and science don't matter mm -hmm. and uh i think that <clears throat> as we try to come to terms with what post corona life is going to be like which eventually we will have mm -hmm. um that um we're going to have a lot of uh, a lot of fence mending to do, oh and I'm not sure that those. I think those who have transgressed the values and the boundaries are the ones that are really going to have to be involved in doing some of the healing. Yeah, and, you know? and the question is whether there's a willingness, and and I think sometimes we kind of have to move forward with those who are willing. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's impossible to have a one-sided relationship and, and mutuality and reciprocity is are really important values in healthy relationships. So um, I'll tell you how I got to what I'm about to say, and I don't mean this in any any judgmental way of any anybody else, for whatever form of entertainment you like, you like. But uh, years ago, uh, I used to record the Bill Maher politically incorrect show. Mm -hmm. And finally, I just got tired of it. I got tired of his humor. I got tired of his, his rants were so predictable and so forth. But um, 
back in the spring, because Sherry, as you know, had brain surgery, I bought this package that allows me now, if I want to, I can go back and I can watch programs that I didn't, don't necessarily have to record. Mm -hmm. And the other night I decided on a whim just to go back and watch a Bill Maher program. I am so glad I did. Not because of Bill's anger and hostility and bully way of interviewing people, but because of one of the guests he had on. He had on a man whose name is Scott Galloway. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, you've heard of him? Well, I, I'm remembering you talking about him and I can't remember the context. Um, well, yeah. uh, he uh, Scott Galloway was one of the most erudite, articulate, bright people I have seen on TV in a long time. And so I bought a copy of his most recent book that he was on pushing. And the book's title is Post Corona from Crisis to Opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's not a hard read. It's a fast read. I'm about halfway through it, but it is stunning mm. about what has been happening in this country, particularly something that is accelerated during this Corona time about how the wealthier have gotten wealthier and the poor have gotten poor. And he talks about the big four and their and the implications of the big four in American economy. Mm -hmm. The big four are Amazon, Apple, Google, and Facebook. Yeah. And 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 their the role that they play in shaping American thought. If somebody listening to this wants a quick overview of this, go on YouTube, enter Scott Galloway. Mm -hmm. Scott Galloway's uh, time on the Bill Maher program. You can watch it in 15 minutes. Mm. And if you're not impressed, I sent the link to somebody <clears throat> just yesterday and I got a response back. I'm hooked. I'm buying the oh, book. Wow. Yeah. So, oh, he's, he's really articulate. And that opens the door to what we will be talking about the Sunday after Easter when we go back to teaching. And that is uh, the whole business about income inequality and uh, how we come to terms with that in yeah. this country. Because if we do not do something, it's only going to continue going in the direction that it's going. Yeah. Forgive us our debts and forgive us of our, forgive, forgive us our debts is more than just uh, an ethereal idea. It's, it requires some action. A friend of mine sent me um, a link today to an organization, I think based in Minnesota, but that's addressing issues of reparations um, in the Midwest. Um, it's, it's the Bush Foundation, not the, I don't think any relation to the George Bush Foundation, but it is going to be distributing $100 million to Blacks and Native Americans for past injustices. You know, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I had two responses. Wow, I'll check that out. And it's about damn, damn time. <laughs> um, you know, it's past time. Um, we, we have debts. And I heard Tim Wise um, say this, if, if we became the CEO of a company that had both profits and debts, we, we could not ignore the debts and think that the company could be maintain success, right? We'd have to take care of the debts. We'd have to pay off what we owe 
in order to create the space for progress. And I think the same is true socially. What are the debts that we inherited? If you become CEO of a new business, you kind of inherit, you inherit the ethos of it. You can't just ignore what comes with it. Same in, in our social history, we can't ignore, we can't ignore the debts. It doesn't mean that we're personally responsible for all that's ever happened. And I think that is a real defensive reply from especially many um, white folks I encounter is, well, I never owned slaves. I, I didn't, I, I was in the civil rights movement or whatever it is, whatever the sort of response is, this doesn't include me, is it's real easy to claim our innocence. But the fact is we inherited a system. And if we want to imagine a new system, we have to pay our debts. <laughs> and that's, I, I was thinking about um, sort of the difference between independence, interdependence and codependence you know, to take, let's say, for example, mask wearing out, out of the political context, can we put it in one of those three ways? Independence is, I'll take care of me, you take care of you, I'll do what I'm going to do, you do what you're going to do. Interdependence is, I wear a mask, even if I'm vaccinated, to symbolize my care for the community in general. Mm -hmm. Codependence is, if I wear a mask, you have to wear a mask. And if I'm not okay, you're not okay, right? Mm -hmm. So of course the sweet spot is interdependence. And I think we've gotten in these categories of demand thinking of either it's just about me or it has to be about all of us. And I just wonder what it would be like to in the prayer, the Lord's prayer re is reimagined by um, Who's your guy? Douglas Klotz. Soften the ground of our being into this field of interdependence. You know, mm -hmm. that's what I'd like to imagine. But again, back to the question sent to you via email is sometimes that's not possible. And that's the grief that we're invited to be with. So, you know, we spent a, a, a whole class, and I have done this in the past too, talking about the difference between destiny and fate. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> it's destiny that we are in the system that we're in. Yeah. It's fate for us to choose to stay there. Mm -hmm. So though I may have no control over my destiny, things like my race and sex and country of origin and all that sort of stuff. I do have responsibility for how I shape the, what I want my fate to be, right. what I want my legacy to be, and how I want to be uh, impacted with, uh, by impact others and be impacted by them. I have some choice there. Mm -hmm. You know, the Richard Orr this whole week has been writing on the subject of scapegoating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And boy, that's something our culture is really good at. Oh, heck yeah. I blame you for everything. Yeah. And there's some satisfaction we get out of that because we can stay um, angry. We can justify our anger. We can justify our hurt. We can justify staying away without having to, without having to again, be with mm -hmm. not just the person, maybe not even the person, but our own feelings around it. It's, it's so easy and such a huge temptation. I'm pretty sure I fall into it too. Well, it's your fault we didn't 
get that dinner on time. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it's how do well, we make ways for? I hope that sometime between now and the Sunday after Easter, that people will watch that Scott Galloway clip on yeah. uh, YouTube. Well, I sure will because <laughs> it's. It, I'm, I'm telling you, it's 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 going to make your jaw drop. Mm. The kind of things that he's saying about. Do we think that it's morally acceptable that one company influences 78% of the population's ideas about voting, about this, about, it's just, it's really, it's really amazing. And what's the other movie, the, um, the social network, is that? The Social Dilemma. The social Dilemma. Um, that too is a movie that it speaks to that right it's just mm-hmm. how much we're influenced by media companies and um gosh and you know as we were saying as i was kind of lamenting my son's um interest in guns where i don't that i don't understand and i don't relate to um media feeds us more of what we look for so the <laughs> You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's just so overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And as a parent of young kids who are digital natives, it's overwhelming to think, oh my God, I have to stay just slightly smarter than they are. And it is about, they're about to surpass me, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah. yeah. So I would like to put in a plug for um, the fact that uh, as tomorrow, well, the day this podcast is released is Monday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. The, we're in the smack dab middle of Holy Week. It's very, very different than it has been for for years and years uh, at St. Paul's and other places as well. Last year, we didn't have our act together well enough mm-hmm. to have services uh, during Holy Week this year. If people go on the St. Paul's website, they can see a whole wide range of opportunities for liturgy and uh, both streaming and in person. And I've said that the um, Holy Holy Week liturgies at St. Paul's are some of the finest religious theater around. Mm. And uh, tomorrow night at seven o'clock in person will be the stripping of the altar which is a very moving service. And on Good Friday outside, outdoors in the plaza area, there will be three hours of Good Friday services Mm. at one noon, one and two. Mm. And at the two o'clock hour, yours truly will be giving the homily on Good Friday, which I think is fun to do. It's a challenge to do. It's very different than preaching a Christmas one with all the angels and all that sort of stuff. This is about bleakness. This is about grief, loss, Uh, death. Loss. Yeah. And facing into it. So if you're you're free to come in Houston uh, to the good Monday, Thursday service tomorrow night at seven outside or the good Friday service, particularly the one at two, please do. Do you, did people need to sign up, Bill? Do they need to, do they need to sign up? Okay. Yeah. You know, they say that and it's probably true. That would be helpful. I signed up to go tomorrow night, uh, Thursday night, but they're not going to turn anybody away. I mean, yeah, you keep saying that, but I'm just going to, and I'm not a rule follower, but here I am being like, but follow the rule and sign up just so people know. (laughs) Yeah. 
That's helpful to do. It is. Um, um, yeah. And if you're not in the area, um, check out out online. Yeah. Stream. You know, before we close, if, if you could, in a moment, in a word, in a phrase, what does what does the redemptive aspect of Easter mean to you? And I think this also addresses the question that you that you opened with. How do we reconcile? What is redemption? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the the that's a wonderful question, and I wish that we devoted the whole hour to that. Maybe next week we can. Okay. <laughs> um, in short, the mistake that white male folk religion has led people in our culture to believe is that Jesus did something for them that lets them off the hook. All they have to do is just believe, and that's it. The real meaning of Easter, when you look, and I think the Roman Catholics get it better than the Christians. Uh, the Christians have an empty cross, mm. and the Roman Catholics have a body on the cross. And um, my, my admonition to people who are trying, as I put it, to work out their relationship to the sacred within the Christian tradition is don't look at the cross and say, oh, wow, what Jesus did for me. Mm. Look at the cross and say, oh, well, look what we did to him. Yeah. It, the redemption is in the power of taking personal responsibility for the life I create and the lives I impact. Mm -hmm. That's Easter to me. Beautifully That's what said. Jesus, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I think about um, Edward Edinger and his writing about the union perspective of the Christ archetype and reconciling the opposites. So redemption, similarly to what you said, it's, it's, it's reconciling my lived experience with my impact on the world. It's reconciling the grief of Good Friday, the loss, the pain, the death with um, the life that we get to choose to live mm -hmm. and being able to hold those opposites in one body. It's reconciling the murder of Jesus and the redemptive nature of his teaching. Christians have to come to terms with the fact that the found the only founder of any religious movement in the, of any significant religious movement in the world was executed. Yeah. Jesus was executed. Yeah. And so were the next three leaders of the Christian movement. Peter was executed. Paul was executed. James was executed. Stephen was executed. Um, it didn't get much bleaker than that. <laughs> Folks, welcome to Christianity. <laughs> and yet the community that grew up around the Jesus movement was one of the most joyful, uh, energizing and energetic movements. I think this is where Daramut Amuruku's writings so gift us with a concept of what that community was like and what we're called into. So anyway, all righty. All right. I'll see you next week here and then we'll resume our teaching yeah. after that. Yeah, that'll be good. Thanks for listening.